Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcasts at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com, you can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from France 24, NHK World Radio Japan, and Radio Havana, Cuba. We will begin with France 24. The top story in the French press on Monday was the nuclear energy future in France. European states are rearming on a big scale, with arm imports doubling last year. A correspondent in China discusses the call for banning TikTok in much of the Western world. Then a live report from London about the multitude of strikes slowing down activity in the UK. France 24. Debate also begins on nuclear energy, and the issue is on the cover of several of the papers today. Yeah, surprisingly, even more than the retirement issue, uh, this uh, the discussion today by Parliament of nuclear energy and France's nuclear energy future is in many French papers, as we see L'Opinion, Macron's project for the future of nuclear energy in France. The paper calls it a new chance, but it comes with much uncertainty, L'Opinion says, about how to pay for it. Uh, in this vein, Liberation uh, says that this project to build six new nuclear reactors at a cost of 52 billion euros is not realistic, according to the paper. It says that the, the project will likely cost much, much more, um, questioning how and who will pay, who will foot the bill, and also who will do all of the engineering, but also the construction. Liberation says that some 100,000 jobs would need to be filled in the next decade to do this plan. And also, Liberation notes that beyond the debate of uh, the merits and dangers of nuclear energy, there's the reality that France's nuclear energy is not the end-all, be-all of reducing France's carbon footprint. Currently, nuclear uh, energy covers much of France's electricity needs, uh, but the country remains, as we see here in blue, very dependent on fossil fuels for its other energy ne needs, and the nuclear plan, it says, is not the uh, magic solution. Also, Le Parisien explains that the safety of the current reactors is also being hotly debated, or will be today, as the scientific and safety community uh, said that the government's plan to change the body, the, the, the organization that oversees the safety of the sites, could be a dangerous and unwarranted move. Not to mention, as well as we see in Le Figaro, the issue uh, of nuclear energy is one that is uh, pitting France and Germany at loggerheads, with Germany more in favor of renewables. And in this uh, vein of renewables, Le Monde tells us that uh, when it comes to solar energy, the world is hopping on that bandwagon, but France is not. 
Submarines, fighter jets, drones, rifles and missiles. European states are rearming on a big scale, with arms imports to the continent doubling last year compared to the year before. It's an acceleration of an already rising trend driven by Russia's war on Ukraine, with massive shipments to Kyiv and greatly increased military spending by Eastern European countries. The figures released by the Stockholm International Peace Research Institute show Ukraine has become the world's third largest arms importer behind Qatar and India. Let's cross to Beijing and our correspondent, Yena Li. Hello, Yena. Tell us, what does the Chinese government have to say about this? Well, uh, as you can expect, um, there's been quite a bit of a critical reaction from Beijing. We heard from their uh, daily uh, press briefing at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, a spokesperson there saying that the U.S. has so far failed to prov provide any evidence that TikTok threatens national security and that Washington should, I quote, stop spreading disinformation about data security, stop suppressing a TikTok and provide an open, fair and non-discriminatory environment for foreign businesses to invest and operate in the United States. This is tone and content that we have seen and heard before on this ongoing issue. And I also want to bring up a non-official reaction from a uh, prominent commentator of a nationalist uh, newspaper, state paper called The Global Times, Hu Jin, who said online today in a video, he posted that this was a shameless manifestation of the U.S.'s hegemonism. And he also added that this was the U.S.'s hysterical pursuit of national security that goes beyond uh, normal international standards, because for him, a ban would just be a way to, to unfairly curb competition. Mm -hmm. Rick, like you said, this isn't the first time that security concerns over TikTok have come up. There have been several governments uh, that have tried to limit usage by their employees. So what exactly are the concerns and are they valid? Well, firstly, there are reasons to, to worry about cybersecurity. The fear is that when Chinese officials knock on the doors of the of the, the company TikTok, that that company would have to comply because it is a Chinese company. ByteDance, its parent company, is Chinese. And this is why the United States considers it to be some kind of Trojan horse. They, they're worried about the app being used to spread the Chinese regime's influence and be used for spying. And we do have some damning examples from as early on as, as last December. Um, TikTok admitted that its app was used to spy on reporters from the Financial Times, from BuzzFeed News, from Forbes. Um, employees of ByteDance tried to track the journalist movements to look for their sources. And eventually four people, uh, both based in the United States and China, were fired for it. But this is just one example among many. And it certainly came at a very sensitive time. That said, when governments around the world started asking their staff to delete the app from their uh, professional devices, it did beg, beg the question, what about other apps? What about WhatsApp and, and, fa and Facebook? Because some um, cybersecurity analysts argue that, you know, TikTok isn't any more problematic than, than others. It's no secret that platforms collect and share our data, even though they're not allowed to. Right now, TikTok is arguing that a ban wouldn't actually solve any of these industry-wide issues, such as data access and, and transferring of data. But, you know, the fact remains, U.S. apps such as Google, Facebook, um, Instagram, they're all banned in China as well. So those who are for the banning of TikTok in the U.S. could always use uh, reciprocity as an argument. Yana Li in Beijing, thank you so much for your reporting. Let's uh, go live to London with France 24's Benedict Pavia. Benedict, what's the latest on the protest there?
Well, strikes, strikes, strikes. Hundreds of thousands of workers who've uh, taken again uh, to the streets and taking industrial action. And these are mainly disputes over pay, sometimes over uh, pension or working conditions as well. It's reported to be the biggest day, in fact, of industrial action since the current wave of industrial action started well, really, last summer. So teachers in thousands of schools across England are, are striking again, and that is today and tomorrow. Unions want above inflation increases, they say. Civil servants working across more than 100, I believe even 120 uh, departments, government departments are striking over pensions, job security, redundancy terms, and over pay. Uh, that's the biggest strike of civil servants so far with, we think, as many as 150,000 taking part. University lecturers are also out on strike. London underground drivers uh, are also on strike, and they've brought uh, really the entire tube network here in the British capital to a halt. Junior doctors uh, are into the final day of their 72-hour strike, affecting hospitals across England. When you know that they make up about 45% uh, of the medical workforce, you can imagine the impact they're having on emergency care and also on planned care. BBC staff working in local and regional TV, radio and online services in England are also striking for 24 hours over planned cuts to services. Uh, so ministers have so far resisted uh, public sector pay rises. But all this, as you say, as the prime minister is facing his weekly question time right now, and as in a few minutes time uh, after that, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, the Finance Minister, will stand up and deliver what is a very big event in British politics and economics, and that is the budget. That press review and reports were from France 24, which may be easily found at their website france24.com, as well as a YouTube channel called France 24 English. My health concerns have continued. I had surgery on my spine a few days ago, so this shortwave report and maybe a few more will not be as in-depth as I usually hope for. Next, NHK Japan. The U.S. and South Korea are staging continuous large-scale drills called Freedom Shield on the Korean Peninsula. The U.K. is expanding its presence in Asian waters. Australia, the UK, and the US met to discuss the fleet of nuclear submarines to be built for Australia. The US and the Philippines have begun a series of military exercises. Japanese self-defense forces took part in an exercise with the French Navy in the Indian Ocean. In Pakistan, police met with stiff resistance while attempting to arrest former Prime Minister Imran Khan. The inflation rate in Argentina has increased to 100% over the past year. The alleged collision between a U.S. drone and a Russian jet. Russia criticized the U.S. for flying the surveillance drone near Crimea, which they have declared off-limits. NHK Japan the United States and South Korea are staging large-scale military drills on the peninsula, marking the first major field training in five years. Pyongyang has judged them a preparation for war. The 11-day Freedom Shield exercise began Monday. South Korea's Yonhap News Agency reports they will use realistic scenarios reflecting the North Korean threat and practice ways to defuse a security crisis. 
At the same time, a U.S. nuclear-powered aircraft carrier and submarine could be deployed to waters near the Korean peninsula. The drills were suspended under the Moon Jae-in administration, but President Yoon Sun-yeol revived them. Meanwhile, North Korean media says the Sunday test firing of two submarine-launched strategic cruise missiles were a response to the drills. And Britain is reinforcing its own Indo-Pacific policies. It uh, overhauled its defense policies in 2021 to put the threat from Beijing at the forefront. Now it's doubling down. The review of foreign and security policies highlights new global dangers, including not only Russia's war, but China's moves towards Taiwan. Says the Chinese Communist Party poses an epoch-defining and systemic challenge, and it pledged to defend against the threat Beijing poses to its own democracy and economy. The policy shift also reflects Britain's efforts to tighten ties with nations outside the European Union. This uh, state-of-the-art aircraft carrier is part of that. Since deploying to the Indo-Pacific, HMS Queen Elizabeth has been part of joint exercises with Japan's self-defense forces. Britain is also working with France to strengthen their regional presence. The nations agreed to send out more of their fleets. The leaders of the United States, Britain and Australia have outlined their defense strategy for the Indo-Pacific. They want to deter the Chinese military's advances, and their plans include a fleet of nuclear-powered submarines. President Joe Biden welcomed his counterparts for talks at the home of the U.S. Pacific Fleet. Their partnership is known as AUKUS. Our unprecedented trilateral cooperation, I believe, is testament to the strength of the long-standing ties that unite us and to our shared commitment of ensuring the Indo-Pacific remains free and open. Under the deal, the U.S. plans to sell Australia three of its latest fast-attack submarines in the early 2030s with an option for Canberra to purchase two more if needed. The leaders say by sharing technology, the Australians will eventually be able to obtain their own nuclear-powered fleet. The AUKUS agreement we confirm here in San Diego represents the biggest single investment in Australia's defence capability in all of our history, strengthening Australia's national security and stability in our region. AUKUS was launched to counter China's development of advanced military technology, including hypersonic weapons. In 2021, officials in Australia backed out of a major deal with France to acquire diesel-powered subs. They stressed the need to modernize their fleet amid a worsening strategic environment. China has reacted sharply to the trilateral deal. The joint statement indicates that they have gone down a wrong and dangerous road for their own selfish political gains. This is in complete disregard of the concerns of the international community. Wang called on the three countries to abandon what he referred to as their Cold War mentality and not to destroy peace and stability in the region. South Korea and the U.S. are conducting their largest-scale joint exercises in half a decade. Meanwhile, the U.S. and the Philippines have also begun a series of military exercises. They're focused on enhancing Manila's ability to defend its territory from external threats amid China's increasing assertiveness in the South China Sea. Around 3,000 U.S. and Philippine troops are participating in the three-week-long annual exercises. 
This year's drills will focus on scenarios involving air and sea defense of the Philippine archipelago from foreign aggressors. Most of the activities will take place at Fort Magsaysay, about 160 kilometers north of Manila. It's the Philippines' largest military camp. It's also one of the sites Washington has access to under its Enhanced Defense Cooperation Agreement with the country. Last month, the Philippines agreed to expand U.S. access to a total of nine of its military bases as part of measures to ramp up deterrence against China. Next month, Manila and the U.S. are set to hold their largest ever annual war games that will involve more than 17,000 troops. Japan's Maritime Self-Defense Force took part in an exercise Monday and Tuesday. The French Navy hosted it in the Indian Ocean. The group conducted shooting drills and practiced sailing in formation. The exercise has been held in the Indo-Pacific since 2019. Eight countries participated this year, a new high. There's been a second day of clashes in Pakistan between supporters of the country's former Prime Minister Imran Khan and police who are trying to arrest him. A Pakistani court issued an arrest warrant for Khan after he failed to show up for questioning in connection with corruption charges during his tenure as prime minister. On Tuesday, police went to Khan's home in the eastern city of Lahore to take him into custody. But they were met by a crowd of his supporters who had blocked the road. The police moved in using tear gas and water cannons, while the supporters fought back by throwing rocks and bricks. Local media report at least 65 police officers and eight civilians were injured and taken to the hospital. Khan released a video message on Wednesday saying he'll appear in court on Saturday. That's when protective bail granted to him by the high court ends. Khan was ousted as leader in a parliamentary no-confidence vote last April. He's since repeatedly called for early elections. The former prime minister is accused of selling state gifts unlawfully while he was in power from 2018 to 2022. Khan denies any wrongdoing. Households in Argentina are being stretched to the limit as historic inflation drives prices to new highs. In February, consumers saw the cost of everyday goods more than double from a year earlier. The latest figures show that over the 12-month period, Argentina's consumer price index soared to 102.5 percent. It's the first time since 1991 that the country's annual inflation has hit triple figures. Prices of meat, fruit and other foods are being hit particularly hard. That's partly a result of a record-breaking drought. The economic crisis is being compounded by a slide in the peso. The Argentine currency has been heavily impacted by recent U.S. interest rate hikes. Everyone is suffering, both the sellers and the buyers. It's a very stressful situation. The drought gripping the South American country is reportedly its worst in 60 years. Corn and soybean harvests are expected to plunge raising fears that more price hikes are on the way. Leaders at the Pentagon are trying to prevent an incident over the Black Sea from escalating. They're trying to clear the air after a collision on Tuesday between a U.S. drone and a Russian jet. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin spoke by phone with Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu. 
He refused to divulge the details, but says his side is undeterred. U.S. officials say their surveillance drone was flying in international airspace over the Black Sea on a routine mission. They say Russian jets intercepted it, dumped fuel on it, then hit its propeller. They say they're not sure whether the collision was intentional. U.S. forces had to crash the drone into the water. But the Russians deny there was any direct contact. And they criticize the U.S. for flying the drone near Crimea, in an area they have declared off-limits. The Russians say they're trying to retrieve the drone, but U.S. military officials say that would be difficult, as the aircraft is more than 1,000 meters underwater. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard from 9.30 to 10 p.m. That's an hour later at the same frequency, 9865, or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. Their podcasts are also available at most podcast sites. All the times they announce are for Pacific Standard Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the Internet, like a repeat supporter in Upper Lake California did this week. Many, many thanks. We will conclude with Radio Havana, Cuba. The United States remains the world's top weapons exporter with a 40% global share. U.S. forces operating illegally in Syria transferred a new group of Daesh fighters to a base in the northeast of the country. Then a viewpoint on the U.S. continuing to seek Latin American resources, most recently lithium from Bolivia. Radio Havana, Cuba. A new study finds the United States remains the world's top arms trader. The Stockholm International Peace Research Institute reports that the U.S. accounted for 40% of the world's weapons exports between 2018 and 22, selling arms to more than 100 countries. India remains the world's top arms importer, followed by Saudi Arabia, which accounted for nearly 10% of the international arms trade. About 80% of Saudi weapons purchases come from the United States. U.S. forces illegally present in Syria have transferred a new group of Islamic State or Daesh extremists to one of their bases in the northeastern province of Hasake. Local activists quoted by Sana News Agency reported that the radicals were transferred in military transport helicopters from the Al-Sinar prison controlled by the Washington-backed separatist militia Syrian Democratic Forces of SDF to the Shadadi enclave in southern Hasake. The sources specified that these mercenaries will then be sent to the Tanaif base on the Syrian-Iraqi border where they will receive training and are then assigned missions aimed at protecting the bases and destabilizing government-controlled areas by attacking Syrian army points and civilian communities. 
According to allegations from Damascus, the U.S. offers shelter and protection to terrorists in the bases it illegally occupies in Syrian territory, where it trains and arms them to use them in the service of its destabilizing plans. In the vast desert of Al-Badieh, the aggression of the Islamic State is increasing, and it resorts to gang warfare and attacks supported by clear intelligence instructions to wear down the troops of Syria and its allies since its defeat in 2018. The United States definitely cannot stop considering Latin America as its backyard, despite the fact that it's been losing hegemon in the region in the face of the advance of progressive and sovereign governments that do not bow to its dictates and seek the welfare of their peoples. But it is difficult to conceal its interference in colonialist essence, especially when Washington yearns for the natural resources of the Latin American territory, rich in oil, copper, gold, and lithium, the mineral of the future. Now let's not forget the pressures of all kinds against Venezuela, which has the largest hydrocarbon reserves in the world and enormous gold deposits. The South American nation is subject to economic sanctions, the theft of its international assets, and has been the scene of destabilizing and violent actions, encouraged by the United States to subvert the constitutional order and put in place a government in line with its interests. It was not for nothing that the United States supported Juan Guaidó until it was no longer useful. In 2019, he proclaimed himself president of Venezuela, ignoring the will of the people who in the general elections of 2018 had re-elected Nicolás Maduro for a new term. In addition, during the presidency of Hugo Chavez, Washington was in charge of installing military bases in neighboring Colombia in an open provocation and threat to Caracas in which it has not ceased to have its eyes set on for its oil and gold, among other resources. Now the center of its interest is lithium, a metal of great electrochemical potential, which is used in the manufacture of batteries and thermosolar technologies, in energy efficiency, and in the production of reactors. It happens to be Bolivia, one of the South American nations that together with Chile and Argentina make up the so-called Lithium Triangle. The nation presided over by Luis Arce is negotiating with other states, such as China and Russia, for the exploitation of its element. And the United States has sounded the alarm bells. In an interventionist posture, the head of the Southern Command, Laura Richardson, pointed out before U.S. congressmen that they had ignored their backyard, where there's a great amount of resources. She openly stated that she was concerned about the activity being developed by what she defined as adversaries of the country in Latin America, all very much in line with the Monroe Doctrine, which is summarized in the phrase, America for the Americans and which has been the United States' justification for expanding throughout the hemisphere and sharing its wealth. La Paz's response was energetic. Minister of Hydrocarbons Franklin Molina emphasized that Bolivia has the sovereign right to exploit lithium with the partners that technically and economically seem best for it. Bolivia has made it clear that it will not accept any kind of interference and imposition from the United States which has a long history of taking over the region's wealth to the detriment of the development of the people. The United States clings to the Monroe Doctrine, which some people mistakenly believe to be buried, but 
which has always been present and to which the powerful country of the North resorts when its colonialist interests are threatened. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu, although there are no podcasts up there. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140, and from 5 p.m. to 11 at either 606060 or 6165. At their website, you could stream the English version at noon on Monday through Friday Pacific Standard Time. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. You have to look harder these days because of U.S. and E.U. prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with a podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 26th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.